As Bob Marley once said, uh, before pointing fingers, make sure your hands are clean. All right, you'll get that. I should have used him last week, right? Don't worry about a thing, right? We talked about anxiety last week, so all right, some of you are okay with me. All right, so anyway, we are going to be uh, talking through this this morning, and there's going to be points of, uh, that Jesus is making in terms of uh, times that we uh, do need to evaluate each other's lives, that we do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We do need to be uh, examining uh, what it is that uh, we are living for, and are we living for Christ? Or is there evidence in our life that Christ uh, is preeminent in our lives? Uh, we're kind of uh, tracking towards the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus has addressed uh, any number of things. Remember, his disciples are the initial crowd that is gathered around. But then there are other uh, groups of people that have gathered, including religious leaders. And he starts off by giving us the Beatitudes. He wants to show this is what a disciple should look like. This is the life a disciple should lead. And he talks to us about the Beatitudes, to be salt and light. He talks about the condition of the heart, uh, that if we have anger in our heart, that we have committed murder in our heart. And he goes through all these things. Then he gets to where our, our life that should be lived out in front of others and the way that we give, the way that we pray, uh, fasting, all these areas that he says, when you do these things, do not do them like the hypocrites, but rather understand that in all that we do, we do them unto the Lord. So how do we live our lives so that it is pleasing and brings glory to the Lord? And then we talked about how we are to not to lay up treasures for ourselves, but to lay up treasures in heaven where, where they cannot be destroyed. And then last week we even got into what it is to, to not be anxious, to understand that, that God cares for the very birds of the field. He cares for the flowers. How much more so does he care for us? And that if we ultimately seek the kingdom of God, he will add all things to us. So then he kind of comes to this point in this passage, in this, in this sermon, where he's going to talk about judging. But we kind of have um, really have to understand it in its context. Uh, we like to take this verse. This verse, by the way, is one of the most quoted verses now in all of the Bible, but it's not quoted properly. Uh, it is taken out of context because people use it as a means uh, to defend their behavior as opposed to uh, using it as a means to examine each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the German uh, pastor, theologian, who was uh, killed uh, at the hands of the Nazis, I think three days before the liberation of uh, the camp he was in, says this, Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we bind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. So this verse that we see in chapter 1 is, I mean, in, in, in verse 1 in chapter 7, is a very uh, popular saying. And people like to, to put add-ons to it because they say, well, you, who are you to judge me? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the circumstances in my life. You don't understand this. You don't understand this. You should not judge me. And that's not what Jesus is, is getting to here. He's going to elaborate more as he goes through this passage as to, uh, again, as he will repetitively talk throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, that it ultimately comes down to a heart condition. But there are, in, there are in fact, uh, times in which we are to uh, look out for one another out of an actual love. Uh, we know the Bible says that God disciplines those whom he loves. 
If you are a child, have a child, or have ever been a child, you've been disciplined at some point. You have had, hopefully, someone who lovingly cared for you and therefore disciplines us when we get off track, when we are going a direction contrary to the direction we should be going into. So we need to be reminded, again, that this passage, though, is predominantly written to those who are Christ's followers. Jesus is addressing those who are following him. So the first thing this morning to look at is that, how, you know, how are we to look at this? Are we to avoid, then, all manner of judgment? Because we simply want to take verse 1 and not look at it in its context. Whereas we know scripturally there are times and places that we do need to examine each other, but with everything we do, we need to ultimately season it with grace. We need to lead out of grace because of the grace in which we have each received by and through Jesus Christ. So here in Matthew 18, we're going to see another passage that really has to deal with uh, examining and, and, and looking at each other's lives. And we uh, refer to this as a passage that kind of deals with church discipline. And it really has to deal with when there, uh, someone sins against you. So in Matthew 18, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And you can put in there, this is not gender neutral, but you, you know, same applies if your sister you know, sins against you. Go and tell him their fault between you and him alone. That means not all of their friends or your friends or whoever you are talking to all the time. If you have something against someone, someone has sinned against you, go to that person and tell them their fault. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, that it could be established by two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector to be cast out. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, we use that verse out of context a lot also. Now, if you are, news, news for you here, okay? If you're gathered just by yourself and you are a child of God, God's with you. The Holy Spirit's with you. Amen. So you don't even have to have two or three. This particular verse, though, really is, is part of this context of church discipline. That if we are in agreement together. When's the last time you used this verse for church discipline? I'll say never. Because we don't like those words, right? Those aren't words that we like in the church, so we don't practice it. But again, if you have no discipline in your home, what does that look like? Not very good. Now... Even discipline, though, must come with love. Amen? Amen. Christ is, has gifted us and given us grace. We are saved by grace. So how does this even play out? Because this happens, particularly in churches. Um, and, and we are, you know, an autonomous church. We are a church that is, you know, our congregation you know, votes on matters. So like this Wednesday night will be our quarterly partner gathering. But it's, it's a celebration of what God's doing. Uh, this is not, you know, the old business meeting where you have an ax to grind or you don't like something. You'd be like, Pastor, Pastor, 
Why are we replacing the carpet in the children's ministry? I put that down 27 years ago. It's got another 10 years of life expectancy in it. Right? Anybody? We, you know you've probably said in these meetings that this happens, right? Instead of being like, you know what? I hope Jamie, I hope Air Children's Ministries ha- comes every year and says, we got to replace the carpet again. We need to just get rid of carpet. We need like hardwood floors. I don't know, whatever the case is. Because kids just keep running through there, hearing about Jesus, learning about Jesus. And because they're, they're, they're back there all the time, it's wearing things out. Amen? Wouldn't you like to be in a meeting that that's the discussion? Not we shouldn't do this because, you know, well, all right, y'all ready? All right, you ready? All right, we're going to go ahead and go there, right? Because so-and-so donated those set of forks back there that you used to carve the turkey every single Thanksgiving. Y'all, y'all okay? You lean, lean in a little bit? Jesus don't care about those. He cares about where we're sharing his gospel. He cares about are we making disciples. Don't get caught up on that because, I mean, we don't have them, but, you know, you've been in a lot of churches, you know, the stained glass windows, uh, of course, cost more money than the missions budget. God forgive us because we will answer for that. Amen? Amen. All right. I know, I'm, I know I'm meddling a little bit, so I apologize. But here's how this plays out, right? How, here's how it plays out in, in, in a real-world context. So even in, even in our church, right, this is very fitting. We have a partner coming up this week, right? If you have uh, questions about something, and I'll use this as an example, no one has done this. So if you think I'm talking to you, you have an incredibly guilty conscience, and maybe the Lord is speaking to you, but that's, you're not the example in this story, okay? But let's say someone does have questions about the budget, because everyone's always got questions about budget and money in the church, right? Can't believe we're spending money on that. Right? You ever heard that? I've never heard that. I mean, personally, I've never heard that. But, right? But if that's the case, you know what you do? You go, hey, Denny, I got a question. And, and if Denny says, hey, let's get together, we can get the stewardship, we can get with the elders, whatever, right? But there's a process, just like in church discipline. Go to that person. You know what you don't do? You don't, no one's done this, okay? I promise you. I've not heard this. He might have, all right? But I have not heard you do this, so, okay? Just for clarification. But don't go, you know, uh, whispering around the church. Don't go talking to other people. I can't believe we're spending money on that. You know what you do? If you have a question, go to this person. Because that's how we should handle it. And guess what? Again, if he can't answer it, if he feels like it's something, he's got to have another group, you know, then we can get uh, we can get it. So we have two areas. We have ministry teams and we have support ministries in our church. Uh, ministry teams are under the overseeing of the elders. So there's going to be more in line with, like, areas of doctrinal and teaching, even, even missions and where we, who we support, what we support, all that matter, right? And then we have support ministries, which are areas like, you know, buildings and grounds, or it might be security or transportation in those areas, okay? We need all of these ministries, right? But they just kind of support these other areas. And then all of these ministry teams, they are under the overseer of elders. These support ministries are under seat of deacons. So you can go to those, that individual who is overseeing that area, and if you don't like it, then you can go up the ladder, that team, like the stewardship ministry, okay, and that's a team that meets underneath the overseer of the elders, right? Because committees, they're not in Scripture, right? I know, I know you've, like, marked your Bible, and you've got those. They're not in the Bible. There's no committee in the Bible, right? There are, there are elders and deacons that oversee and the elders oversee even the deacons. So you go that route, that doesn't happen, then ultimately if those bodies decide so, then that can be brought before the church. Everybody good? 
Not an agreement if you agree. If you don't agree, then okay. But that's how things are done. Second area, though, that we, so, so that's when you have, you have questions about stuff. So we really kind of use that same, same passage. If there are those who are false teachers, should we not speak up into that? Should we not, therefore, judge if we sense there is a heretical teaching? Acts 20, Paul speaking to uh, the Ephesian elders says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You know what that means? It means he preached through the entire Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been, uh, the New Testament wasn't written, only a few of the books were so. That means he taught the entire Old Testament. So he taught them through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel. right? You get it? Right? Where's my Awana kids in here? Right? So he taught the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to who? Yourselves. And to all the flock, both. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers which is the same Greek word we have for pastor and elders, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. By the way, the church is the bride of who? Christ, not the bride of Chucky, okay? Bride of Christ, Jesus died for her, and so we have to be careful, right? It's the bride of Christ, and it's not my bride either. She's not my bride. I have one bride, just one. Church is the bride of Christ, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So from within, even the church will be those who will try to draw us away. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Right? So we have to look and examine what's being taught. It's not just, hey, hey, can I teach whatever? Right? Patrick, you know, excellent job and your quiz this morning. Right? Your second one on the quiz about, you know, I forgot what it was titled. But anyway, I was listening. But he was showing uh, false teaching that we have both. Uh, you see it on the TV. You hear it in Christian radio. Just because it's on Christian radio doesn't mean it's actually doctrinally and theologically correct. Okay? How do you discern that, though? Right? You discern it by God's word. If you work at a bank, right, and you are being taught how to, uh, how to uh, be able to... Uh, know what is a counterfeit bill. How do they teach you? By examining the original. You learn over and over again what a real, you know, $100 bill, or I've never seen anything above that, so I don't know. Denny's probably got some in his pocket. Him and Jeremy have like a few in their pockets, but whatever the next bill is above that, right? The $200 bill, right? It doesn't exist, right? I had one. I've got one right here. All right, that would be counterfeit, right? But they examine the original. We can spot false teachers when we understand God's word. When we are regularly in God's word, learning God's word, growing, then we go, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. But by and large, we don't know because we don't know God's word. 
So we need to be able to, uh, to uh, lovingly examine that. Sometimes it may just be from, uh, you know, from just you were taught a certain thing and you just kind of just kept teaching it. But God's word is the God for all matters. It is the final authority in all matters. So we have to examine that. Charles Spurgeon says, O prejudice, 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 how many hast thou destroyed? Men who might have been wise have remained fools because they thought they were wise. Many judge what the gospel ought to be, but do not actually inquire as to what it is. They do not come to the Bible to obtain their views of religion, but they open that book to find text to suit the opinions which they bring to it. They are not open to the honest force of truth and therefore not saved by it. It's a powerful reminder. God's word is truth always, forever and forevermore. God's word does not change with the culture. I was so encouraged to hear, and I wasn't there personally, but Mike and your family, I think, Sharon, you guys were at commencement Friday night, and Franklin Graham spoke, and I just, and I did watch it on, I did watch it live, but, you know, he spoke to this exact thing, that God's word is truth for all times. It doesn't change just because our culture decides it wants to change what life is. Doesn't matter what our culture, doesn't matter what our government says. It's what God says life is. It doesn't matter what our culture or our, or our world even tries to define marriage. God's word is very clear. Marriage is one man and one woman, husband and wife. We cannot redefine gender because our culture is going down this crazy path. And, and, he, and he just spoke very truthfully into this to a bunch of young graduates that are going to be facing an ever-changing world. But we have one constant that never will change. But we must know God's word. So the second thing is, see, does point out there are proper forms, there are proper contexts in which we do need to be able to judge. It says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we have to understand that we need to examine ourselves. We need to understand our own hearts before we therefore go out because we will be held accountable to the exact same measure in which we use. So because we understand there are uh, a proper context, let's look at a few verses. John 7, 24 says, Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. We know that uh, God said to Samuel that, that God does not look at our appearance, but he looks at our heart. Saul, King Saul, had all, you know, I mean, King Saul was the, a five-tool guy, right? I mean, he had everything, but his heart was not for the Lord. David, if you looked at David, David was like the run of the litter, right? Early on, remember, uh, uh, Samuel goes to Jesse, David's dad, and Jesse brings forth every single one of his sons, and Samuel even has to be like, don't you have another one? <laughs> Where's that one? Because guess what? That's the one God has called. God doesn't look at our outward appearance. God wants men and women who have a, a, a heart for him. And that's what David's epitaph read, right? A man after God's own heart. Could you imagine a better, uh, a better set of words to be on your gravestone? A man and woman, a man or woman after God's own heart. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, which we know was an absolute mess, right? I wrote to you in my letter. That's why we'd fit in well in the Corinthian church. Amen? We'd all be good members there <laughs> because we're all a mess. 
I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual, sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. That means if they are professing Jesus Christ, if they are saying that they are a child of God, they are a Christian, it says, I am asking you not to, I'm, ask, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Do you think we should examine people's lives? How would we know if we don't, uh, if, we, if they are in those areas? We are told scripturally we shouldn't even be eating with them. If they're brothers, it didn't say the lost. They say the lost because they're lost. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? And I got to be careful. I uh, read this too fast early at 8 o'clock. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Is it not? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Anybody lifting your toes a little bit right now? You got toes up a little bit right now? Because that's, that's, that's stepping on my toes, right? We are called to a higher standard. 1 John 4 says that, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right? We, they're, they're all over the television. All over the television. Some of them even hold up this. Patrick is how quote you. Some of them even hold this up and said, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am, right? If you read anything Joel Osteen writes or preaches, you are following a false prophet. You need to understand that. We need to understand who pe what they believe. You need to understand that, that, that even individually, we need to understand doctrinally. So, you know, we should have our, our doctrine statements, not just the church, but we. Well, who do you believe the person of Christ is? Who do you believe, you know, what is the Trinity? Why do you think we're doing catechisms? Because we want you to understand these basic doctrinal truths that every person needs, right? This is how they would train children of old, but we kind of miss that because parents are not training their children in the knowledge and fear and admonition of the Lord. So we teach them so that they understand these truths so that they can know a false prophet because they know the truth. They've examined the evidence. They know the truth. Third thing is we... Um, is there is judging that Jesus is condemning. There is judging that, that we need to be very uh, mindful of. And that is that, first off, we need to understand we have to examine our own heart. What does it say? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, only because I'm sticking to the same theme throughout, so don't get you know, all uptight or anything, but I'll bring back the stewardship issue. I've never, I've never, I have not heard this here, okay? I don't think. But anyway, but you know what's really fun? Is when people are like, hey, Denny, why are we spending money on this or that? And you never given to the church. Could you, could you have a, you've got like a telephone pole sticking out your side of your eye, all right? If you're not, if you don't trust God with your finances, why do you care? Because you're actually a thief, and I think that needs to be dealt with much, way, way quicker. We good? There should be a lot of amens to that one, to be honest with you. you. If you can't trust God with what he has gifted you with, 
So I'm just saying we have to be very careful with this because we're quick to point out stuff. But if air life were laid out on that big screen, what would it show, right? How, would, how are we doing in, in these areas? So we need to consider that. Galatians 6, 1, brothers, if anyone's caught in any, trans, in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you that are mature in your faith, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to examine our hearts. What does our lifestyle say about what we believe in God's word? Is our lifestyle exhibiting that? Now listen, we are all sinners, okay? We do not, the sin nature does not vanish when we come to faith. We still have a sin nature. We still have that, that, that flesh that is, is at war against the spirit that is within us. And that's why Paul says every day he has to battle the sin nature. He has to die to sin, die to self. We have to do that. I mean, if, if, if Paul writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, you know, one of the last things he is sharing in 2 Timothy is that he is the chief of all sinners. Paul understood the more he grew in Christ, the more sin in his own heart he came to understand existed. You see, we, we like to cover those areas because it's a lot easier for me and for all of you, it's a lot easier for me to point out your sin than to look at my own in the mirror. Because if I know where my sin lies, I've got to deal with that. Amen? I mean, there's a lot of good amens in this sermon. I, I can say on myself, it would just be here longer because I'm just going to keep on adding here, okay? Paul says again to the Corinthian church, and we know this because we say this quite often when we partake in the Lord's Supper. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So before we even come to the table, Paul is saying we need to examine ourselves. We need, we need, to, we need to look at ourselves through the lens of Scripture. Again, we're not perfect. That comes with glorification, which is when you die and stand with Jesus. Okay, But sanctification is to be set apart. It is that continual act of God conforming us more and more into the image of his son Jesus. He says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But here it is. But if we judged ourselves truly... We would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Does your walk match your talk? You've heard the saying, walk the walk. We need to walk that which we also talk. A lot of people can talk. So consider how we live. What about the gospel? Are we, are we sharing the gospel when we have opportunity? Do you know those that are around you that do not have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they have never placed their faith and trust in Christ alone? How about your neighbors? Do you know where your neighbors are spiritually? Do you know your neighbors? Or do you raise the garage door when you're in the driveway pulling in and then it shuts before you get out of the car because you don't want to know your neighbors because you don't want to have those conversations? Do you know your neighbor? Do you know where your neighbor is spiritually? Do they have a relationship with Christ? You should know your neighbor. That's going to take some effort. It's going to take some time. It's going to take getting to know them. 
And then how about people you work with? God has placed you in the environment you were in, and we are called to be salt and light. Do you know the spiritual condition of those that you work with? Again, I'm not, I'm not advocating that, that you walk up to the uh, cash register at Walmart or your waiter or waitress today if you take mom out to lunch and you try to hand them the four spiritual laws and get them to sit down and spend 10 minutes, okay? I mean, they're at work and, I, you know, but, but how do you take it opportunities when they do come along? Because God will give you those opportunities. God will forever be placing those people in front of you. But do we take that because we, because our lifestyle is matching our talk? How about our gifts and talents? The simplest things that we may think are just something, you know, nonchalant, but they are ultimately gifts and talents that the Lord has provided. I mean, things that you can do, little things that you may not think even really add up, but the littlest gesture can go such a long way. The littlest thing, allowing God to, to take the very gifts and talents that he has entrusted to you. Understand, he entrusts them to you so that we would use them to bring him glory and honor. Are we using those for him? Whatever that is, any, any ability, the passions we have, they are of the Lord. How about working into the glory of the Lord? Now, you may not like your employer, but do you work in such a way that it still honors and glorifies God? Or are you showing up late for work? Are you constantly causing problems? Are you griping and complaining? Or, you know, now if your employer is, is calling you to do something that is contrary to God's word, then, then you need to look for another job. Okay, but if it's just because you don't like something, right? We are to honor God with our lives. So that means even in our places of employment, maybe you're there because God has you there to be a witness, to have those relationships develop that can ultimately lead to sharing the gospel. And don't do it on company time, right? Say, hey, can I, can, you know, what are you doing after work next week? Can, can you, if you, if you sense God is opening those doors, pull that guy and say, hey, or, or, or that lady and say, hey, can I, can we get together? Or can me and my wife get together? Can we take you out to dinner? Whatever. There's opportunities there, but we have to be discerning as the Spirit leads us. How about stewarding our resources? If we examine our lives, we need to examine that. We need to examine what we're doing with all that God has given us. That's our time, our talent, and our treasure. Are we using those for God's glory? Are we investing in things that are eternal? Jesus said in 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We need to consider, is all that we believe being lived out in our lives? Are we trusting God with what He has given us? Luke 6 says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we need to, out of a, a gracious, loving heart, be willing to speak the truth. James 2 says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We were all at one time lost and separated from a loving God. And God sent His Son to call you to Himself. We who have been saved of much should be also understanding of that. Alexander Strzok says this, When Jesus prohibits, what Jesus prohibits is sinful, improper judging. It is the hypocrisy of condemning others 
but failing to see one's own glaring sins. Jesus forbids self-righteous criticism, a hypercritical spirit, and a harsh fault-minding mindset. Fault-finding mindset. We need to understand mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Amen? Mercy is God not sentencing us to what is the penalty of sin, which is death. For the wages of sin is death death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. It is through his mercy that we are saved. Last, there are times that we must make judgments. First, though, we have to have examined our own hearts. Doesn't mean we're perfect by any stretch, or or we're not still working through some of those things ourselves. But are we working? Are we confessing those areas that we know God still is at work in us through? And if you are at work in those areas and you know in your heart that these are areas you're working on and then you see a brother or sister going down that path because maybe it's a path you once had gone down. So you're more inclined to just notice these these little things that you start to see that, hey, this is a dangerous uh, journey you're on. I've seen this. I know in my own life where this usually ends up. So that you can speak into others. And you know, God has given you even those experiences. God brought you through them. Now, God didn't necessarily put you in them because we make our own choices. And those choices sometimes have consequences. Well, all the time have consequences, right? But, but God allowed you to go through those. And you can now speak into others' lives that you may never had been able to before. And when you see within that brother, that sister in Christ. And notice I keep saying that brother and sister in Christ. Not the lost. The lost person doesn't know any different they don't have a relationship with Christ they need to come to faith in Christ but for that brother and sister in Christ we should be willingly lovingly to address when there are areas that are leading to their own destruction or the destruction of others if you were to witness uh, 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 if you saw somebody walking across the railroad track in Ashland and they never saw the train and you see the train the most loving thing you can do is run and tackle them before the train hits them and they might get up and wonder, what are you doing? You're crazy. Why did you just do that? And then they see the train. If you see within someone's life areas of destruction, we need to lovingly address them. But again, Jesus says, notice, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly. It doesn't say that you won't deal with your brother. It says when you take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's calling us to look at our brothers and sisters, to to walk in such a unity that we know when there there is sin in the camp. Amen? That's what happened in Joshua, right? Joshua and the children of Israel, they go into Jericho. God has given them Jericho in their hands. The wall falls. They, They experience no loss of anything. God gives them this city into their hands, a fortified city, probably the most fortified city in its time. But then all of a sudden, they're getting ready to go into Ai and the battle of Ai. And they go into Ai, and what happens at Ai? A number of people are killed. They face, they face loss of life. They face casualties. And Joshua's like, God, you promised all this. But God's word says that but, they, but he had told them not to take any of the spoils of the city, not to take anything, because God was all they needed. But Achan had decided what? 
well, I can take a little bit, right? I can skim a little bit off the top because who's going to know if it's just a little bit of silver or a little bit of this or that, right? So he takes it and buries it. Well, God knows. And God dealt with the camp. There was sin in the camp. God will deal with a church who allows open sin and rebellion against God. God will deal with it. You want to know where he deals with it? Look at Revelation. There's seven churches in there. God will extinguish a church's lampstand when she is no longer uh, subject to the truth of God's word. We see that. We've got churches all across our landscape that are empty, that have become museums or, or houses. <laughs> Those churches, and I know they're buildings, but they at one time housed a body of believers who at one time in many ways, they were, they were faithful. Like you want to see some heart wrenching. I mean, you know, go to Northampton in Massachusetts and stand in front of Jonathan Edwards Church. I mean, I mean, Jonathan Edwards, you think he wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. A good night, if he were to come back today, I couldn't imagine what he would write because it is the most LGBTQ-affirming church in, in the entire area. It is just, I mean, it is so far off the track. There is no gospel witness at all in that church anymore. So don't think that it can't happen in every church. You're only, we're one step away from that. We have to have people who are committed to God's word and that we're going to be truthful at all times with God's word. Because he says there, look at the last verse he says there, do not give dogs what is holy. And these aren't the domesticated animals we have, right? That we have today that you love and you, right? Dogs were were wild animals. He's saying you don't just throw things out to these wild animals because guess what? They're wild. (laughs) They're going to attack you. They're going to seek to destroy you. And it says, do not throw your pearls before pigs. So we've got dogs and hogs here, okay? And he says, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I mean, would you, you, know, you don't throw your precious jewels out in front of the pigs. So we need to understand. And finishing up here, Paul writing to Timothy, the second Timothy says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, Notice who he says here. The Lord's servant must be able to teach. That means you need to understand God's word. So don't ever tell me, well, you know, I don't, you know, whatever. Well, God says we should know God's word to the point that we can uh, be strong and secure in God's word. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Paul David Tripp says, Sin plays havoc with our spiritual vision. Although we were able to see the sin in others with specificity, close enough, right, and clarity, we tend to be blind to our own. And the most dangerous aspect of this already dangerous condition is that spiritually blind people tend to be blind to their blindness. It's a good reminder. Last thing, but there is a judgment that we all will face. Every one of us will stand before the Lord. And this judgment is final and eternal. John 12 says, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. 
You understand? We will be examined by God's word. God's word will examine each of our hearts. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Paul again to the Corinthians in second letter, or third, technically. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice it says, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he or she has done in the body, whether good or evil. You know that we receive rewards in heaven. Now, these aren't rewards like, you know, uh, a medal of honor or some kind of ribbon. But no, um, they are like crowns of thorns. I mean, they're like crowns that we place at the feet of Jesus. And there, there's multiple crowns mentioned throughout Scripture. And these rewards are for Jesus. Romans 14, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And last in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Because Jesus is our just judge. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's a story of an old farmer in the Midwest who had a, just an absolute disdain for all things religious. As he would plow his fields, and particularly on Sundays as he'd be out working in his fields, he would just shake his fist at all the church people as they were passing by on their way to worship. October came that year, and the farmer had his finest crop ever, the best in the entire county. When the harvest was complete, the farmer uh, went and placed an advertisement in the local paper, which belittled the Christians for their faith in God. Near the end of his diatribe, he wrote, Faith in God must not mean much if someone like me can prosper. Well, the response from the Christians in the community was quiet and, and polite. In the next edition of the town paper, a small ad appeared. It read simply, God doesn't settle his accounts in October. When the harvest came in. It's at the end God will settle all accounts as we stand before our righteous and just God and we give an account for our life. Well, for you and I, if, you're, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, then you will be judged for your sins. 
And the Bible tells us that that punishment is an eternal separation from a loving God in a real place called hell. But God says that if you, by faith, trust in his son Jesus, that you can have eternal life. And so this morning, you may be sitting here, and, and maybe that's you. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you know that you've not been living a very obedient life. Maybe you've not trusted in God with all that he's blessed you with. Maybe you've not allowed all that he has given you to be used for his good and his glory. How can you take that next step? What can you do to show uh, him glory and honor? It's by allowing him to take all that he's already rightly given you that is his and to be ultimately used by him to be multiplied both here and around the world. Wherever you are, just encourage you to take that next step that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, every one of us. And there are those in this room that you will hear those most glorious words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But there are potentially, and in realistic odds, some in this room who will not. Why would you want to risk that? Why do we want to continue to live this life in such a fashion that we may be separated. And Jesus will say, I knew you not. It's not enough that you know Jesus. Satan knows Jesus. Satan was there in the beginning of creation. Satan, at one day, bowed his knee to Jesus. And he will again. He bowed at creation. He bowed at the cross. And he will bow in the end. He knows who Jesus is. It's not whether you know Jesus. It's does he know you. Is, is his name written across your heart? Because if it is, there's going to be evidence. There's going to be evidence. that It doesn't mean you're, you're perfect. No way. You're going to struggle. But you're going to know you struggle. And that conviction is what is evidence that God's spirit is at work in you. And you're going to want to do whatever God calls you to do. You're going to want to be faithful and trust him because he's good and he's just. And God loves us. So I just want to encourage you this morning. We're going to have our, our closing uh, worship song. And just and have uh, their elders are going to be available. Just if you, if, if this morning, maybe this morning is the morning. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. If the Spirit of God is drawing you this morning, then don't leave here without getting that taken care of. Don't leave here this morning without, trusting some, with, without talking to someone about trusting in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Don't allow your pride to, to walk out that door. Don't allow that speck in your eye or that log in so many cases to get hit on the door as you go out. Allow the Spirit of God to speak into you. And for others, let's just seriously pray that God would examine our hearts by His Spirit and He would reveal those areas so that we truly can go forth and we can, we can help our brothers and sisters grow in the grace and admonition of the Lord. Father, we thank you for being so gracious to us. And Father, your word declares, and yet while we were sinners, you sent your son Jesus for us and that he died on the very, the very wooden tree that he created. And Father, he lived the perfect life, the life that we could not live. He fulfilled the law and that God, he provided not a way, he provided the only way to salvation. And that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So, Father, we pray this morning that, God, your spirit would just draw hearts to yourself. Your word declares that if Jesus Christ be lifted on high, that you will draw all peoples to yourself. 
So, Father, we pray this morning, if there's anyone here or just anyone that we, today, we need to go to, because the greatest gift there is, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So, Father, we thank you for the work you were doing and that you will continue to do as you sanctify us and conform us into the image of your Son. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.